Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to the Living History UK podcast, a podcast for the discerning and knowledge-hungry historians out there. You can support our podcast and get much more from Living History UK by joining our Patreon from just £1. And by doing so, you'll be a part of an ever-growing community and really help to make a difference as we strive to keep history alive. But for now, enjoy this podcast. Hello and welcome to Living History UK podcast. I'm Danny Rees and welcome to our new section where we go doing a new section today called The Collector's Corner. Now, us being living historians, we're all collectors at heart. But obviously, the collecting hobby is a larger and more in-depth area. And today I am joined by my esteemed friend, Mick Atkinson, and we're going to be talking about all things Napoleonic. So, Mick, welcome to the the podcast. Thank you, Danny. So, Mick, can you uh, just give a a, a quick intro into yourself and your interest into the Napoleonics, please? Yes, certainly. I've been collecting medals since I was a young lad many, many, many years ago. And over the last 50 odd years, I've been collecting British medals. And the thing with medals is there's so many different types of medals to collect, foreign medals, British medals, medals to regiments, medals to wars, medals to battles, et cetera, et cetera. So over those 50 years, I've sort of gone through four or five different collections. Uh, One of my favorite was I collected uh, casualties to Victorian soldiers, Isandwana, Charge of the Light Brigade, things like that. Uh, in the last seven or eight years, I collected Special Forces medals, medals to the SAS, and was fortunate fortunate enough to get on to the Antiques Roadshow. Uh, but I sold all those a couple of years ago, and I now collect Napoleonic, uh, not just medals, but Napoleonic items. Oh, fascinating. Fascinating, Mick. So, what what really actually what what was the turning? What was the trigger point for you to get into Napoleonics? It was the bicentenary of Waterloo when I was asked to give a lecture to a medal society, and I gave the lecture. I fell in love with the subject, and literally twenty four hours later, I bought a Waterloo medal to one of the cavalry regiments at Waterloo, no less than the Scots Greys, and the gentleman uh, concerned, the owner of the medal. 
uh, was wounded in the battle, and I even had a portrait of him. As a result of that, for the next three, four, five years, I was collecting medals to the heavy cavalry at Waterloo. Uh, as they are relatively expensive, I got to about nine or ten of them, and then COVID came along. Now, the thing about COVID is I had more time on my hands to do research, and it did occur to me that I've got so many Waterloo medals, I would like to mix it up a bit and maybe get just one French medal. And of course, by French, there's only the Legion d'honneur. So I went on the internet. I wasn't hopeful I'd find one, but lo and behold, within 10 minutes, I found a Legion d'honneur to one of Napoleon's Imperial Guard, wounded at the Battle of Waterloo. And the thing about French medals is they actually wear theirs in battle, as opposed to the British Waterloo medal, which was issued a year after the battle, obviously not worn in battle. So I bought this Legion d'honneur, then I researched the guy and then fell in love with the whole French army and Napoleonic thing. And uh, yes, in the intervening two, three years, uh, I've built up quite a large collection of Napoleonic items. Oh, great. I think the great thing about medals is, and I know there's various camps of people when they collect medals, is medals are a direct link to the man or woman who were awarded them because you always, you know, 90% of them were named and you can obviously start the, the ball of research. You know, obviously there are varying people thinking they should be back with the families. They should, you know, they should be in museums, but I think collectors of medals sometimes can be more appreciative of that man's or woman's service than the family could be because they're willing to look into every small finite detail of that person and how they got that award, especially with the French awards. As you said, being worn in combat that medal or award has actually seen the action, obviously subsequent actions that they were involved with, you know, especially like you said, the French awards, not just being worn at Waterloo, the retreat from Moscow. I know we may want to mention about that in a bit, especially about the retreat from Moscow and a fascinating item in your collection. But with the collecting of Napoleonic stuff specifically, do you come across a lot of fakes? Funny enough, not really. I know they're out there, but because of the searches I do, and the people I search, basically I go to French auction houses and I go to the top French auction houses and they're reputable and they guarantee the items they sell. Now, if I was to go on, let's say eBay and come across one or two things purporting to be from the Battle of Borodino or something like that, I would want more proof. So I wouldn't just buy something because it was nice and shiny on eBay uh, because I don't know exactly who i'm dealing with so yes there are lots of fakes out there but because of the specific searches i do i don't really come across them that often yeah i agree mick it's, it's got to be where you come from your sources you said reputable french auction houses or uk auction houses obviously the big ones down in london um, if you're buying it from a small auction house you've got to do your research and as the great john tamplin said research 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 and in research never ends Thing and get to learn what you, you're doing. You know, you obviously you've learned a lot about you know, obviously not just British awards but French awards. How, how is it like accessing the French archives? Actually, I find the French archives much larger and more accessible than our own. If I want to research a British recipient of a Waterloo medal, I have to go all the way to London. Uh, I can access the documents there for free. Now, the French records i can simply go online 
and I can research anyone that's won the Légion d'honneur during the Napoleonic period, and I can download all the records absolutely for free. Their search engine's brilliant. Uh, so actually, I find French records uh, easily accessible. And it's not just that. I go on places like thearchive.org, and there are also one or two other French equivalents where they have downloaded tens of thousands of books, records, magazines, newspapers. Again, all easily researchable and all free to download. So I have found, actually, in the last three years, uh, going from British medals to French medals has actually been a breath of fresh air. Yeah, I know from our uh, from our living history guys, especially when they're researching the uniforms and equipment of the Napoleonic British soldier, there's been great struggles. And I wish, you know, if it's National Archives and QR listening, please, please, please get more budget from the government or whoever you get it from to digitalise more documents and make them more searchable. Because at the end of the day, today's internet, we want to be able to access it quickly and easily. And I know there's great struggles. I know myself, I'm, I'm researching a, a Zulu medal to a guy in the Army Service Corps who died of disease, but we're trying to pin exactly when and where and how he died. And it's going to be near enough impossible. But especially for our living history guys, just trying to find those little finite details, the guys who want to get their kit and, like, for example, the regimental lace perfect. I've tried researching the 36th of foot during Napoleonics. There's two different types of laces listed in the book. There's no dates when they use those laces, who, in, who put the changes. So it's, it's nice to hear that the, actually the French archives are really nicely detailed. Now, this is kind of a, a giveaway, but what would you class as your greatest item in your Napoleonic collection? Well, as the word Napoleonic indicates, anything to do with Napoleon. And I am extremely lucky and fortunate. But then again, I've done my research, as you said, and the more research you do, the more checking you do, the more likely you are to find something great. And exactly one year ago, I bought Napoleon Bonaparte's own, his very own, Legion d'honneur. And there's a great chance, because he had more than one, but he didn't have that many. Maybe 20 of these things, of which only about three or four survived today. And there's a great chance that mine was at the Battle of Waterloo. Maybe not one on his chest, maybe held by his valet in one of the coaches that he had, but certainly I can trace the medal from him all the way down 200 and something years to when I purchased it uh, this time last year. So that has to be uh, my best medal. I actually have two, which sounds absolutely crazy, but I bought one to a cuirassier who was wounded 52 times at the Battle of Heilsberg in 1807. Now, it's a very special medal, and I know, because it was sold as such, that it was made by Napoleon's personal jeweller, a man called BNA. Now, recently, a couple of weeks ago, again, online, I found a book that detailed all the items Napoleon bought from jewellers, from porcelain makers, uh, that sort of thing, with the costs of the items and the date they were purchased. And funny enough, this Legion d'honneur, this very special one made by the Emperor's jeweller, Napoleon bought two of them in January 1808. And I know without a shadow of a doubt, he gave one of them to Major Shippo, who was the guy that was wounded 52 times at the Tuileries Palace. It cannot be anything else but one of the two he bought from that jeweller. So funny enough, I've got two to Napoleon, which has to be some sort of record. 
It's got to be. It's got to be the greatest private collection. You know, obviously you got the, some of the big collections in Paris and obviously Moscow after they were looted in '45 from Germany. But you must be the must be the largest. You must be the largest private owner of Napoleonic awards in in the world, possibly. Well, given that I can only trace about twenty, that's not just Legion d'honneurs. Those are the stars that he wore on his chest, uh, the the cordons that he wore over his shoulder. Uh, the different sizes of Legion d'honneur. So there are a three at least in public hands. But when you add them all up together, to have two large, full-size officer Legion d'honneurs that I know Napoleon owned, he only wore one of them, but he owned two of them, I think I'm probably the only person to have two, uh, which is quite an honour. Yeah, especially, you, know, you see, his full-size were only worn for his best occasions and his, when he's visiting other dignitaries. I know you, you have got actually another fascinating item in your collection, which I'd love you to explain to our listeners about, but your frame of Waterloo relics and a certain length of ribbon in there, which is quite an, of an interesting item. Yes, again, when I started collecting the Legion d'honneurs initially, uh, then I realised that the French army was so romantic, it had been involved in so many wars, and Napoleon himself is such an iconic figure. I branched out and I just purchased as as much as I could see on the internet. Now. I'm very lucky. One, I had the wherewithal to do this. Secondly, because of the the bicentenary of Waterloo, followed not long afterwards by the bicentenary of Napoleon's death, this has brought out quite a lot of items in previously old collections. They tend to get sold off when they can um, utilise the, the occasion. So I did buy a frame with about 10 items of uh, militaria picked up from the battlefield, coins, badges, a couple of letters, uh, absolutely fantastic. And one of them, there was one of these cordons, which is a long length of ribbon, about four or five inches wide. It goes over the shoulder. And at the hip, you should have the grand cross of the Legion d'honneur, except when you're in battle. When you're in battle, you just wear the red ribbon cordon. Now, one of those is rolled up and it's in this frame. Now, this frame, I know because I've done my research, was sold not only when I bought it uh, a year ago, but it sold about 10 years ago. And I think it's been sold several times since it was put together in the 1830s, uh, 40s. I'm probably the only person that sat down and tried to find out who that cordon could belong to. Once I realised there were something like 100 French generals at the battle, but how many of those 100 were entitled to wear the Grand Cross of the Legion d'honneur? Turns out to be six, including Prince Jerome, Napoleon's brother, Marshal Ney is another one. So I can't pin it down exactly. Now, people might think, well, how on earth did they lose that? I think it must have come from the carriage of one of those people. Famously, Napoleon's carriage was ransacked by the Prussians. All of his awards were taken and they ended up in Berlin. And then they ended up, well, now they're in Moscow. All his other generals, well, not all of them, some of them also had their carriages ransacked. So you could imagine, for example, Marshal Ney having his carriage ransacked and this could possibly be his. So I'm never going to know who owns it, but it's one of six of the most iconic people who fought at the Battle of Waterloo. Fantastic. I think it's one of the British cavalry regiments. They've got the Napoleon's chamber pot as their 
officer's drinking vessel, haven't they? I can't remember which one it is now. They have got one of the Polish Hussar Chief, Regiment. Yeah. It's one of the, one of the Hussars have yes. got it as their drinking vessel of choice. Hopefully they washed it between yes. his shooting and, uh, and that. But <laughs> obviously we've got new starters wanting to collect Napoleonics. And obviously it, it is an expensive side of the collecting world, as it were. But what three top tips would you give a new starter? First and foremost, know your subject. You can go on the internet. You can buy some Napoleonic items for as cheaply as a couple of hundred euros, for example. You can go on to eBay, France, and look at things that were dug up at the Battle of the Berezina, crossing of the Berezina River in 1812 on the retreat from Moscow. And you can buy those for as little as, I say, 200 euros. But know your subject. Know everything there is to know. For example, me and uh, medals. I know everything about the Legion d'honneur because I've gone out and bought. I've purchased about 500 pounds worth of books mostly French, in French, but thanks to Google, you can translate and things like that. So be, become an expert on your subject. Then you'll be much happier to purchase things, uh, especially online. Secondly, try and buy things from reputable dealers. There are lots of other people out there who will try and sell you fakes that were made in Taiwan a few years ago, etc., etc. But if you buy from a reputable auction house, for example, they will guarantee the items. So if subsequently you find out that it's not quite right, they should reimburse you. So that's a nice safety net. And thirdly, as a bit of fun, I would say go and join a military organization, a a club. So, for example, you and I are members of the Orders and Medals Research Society and the Birmingham Medal Society. And the beauty about that is you meet like-minded people. You can learn off them. You can show them the items you've got, which gives you great pleasure uh, seeing other people enjoy your items. And also belonging to a society, and most of these are online, you can show them pictures of things you want to purchase, and they can come back with comments whether they think it's real or not. So it's again, it's a safety net for especially the young new buyer. Uh, belong to a society, get yourself known uh, and go out and meet people. I mean, it's how I met you. And uh, we've been friends ever since. Uh, yeah. And just me and me, I've learned so much, not knowing much about any other subject and picking up bits from being at OMRS meetings and Birmingham Metal Society meetings, but also within the living history world. You get to learn a little bit about every subject you talk to. Always speak to new people. And you will learn. I don't know anything about French awards until I met, make a mix interest in it. And now I, I hopefully can identify between a first type, a third type, and a fourth type Legion to Honor by looking at the crowns and the hinges and all that type of good stuff and the balls on the end of the points. So I know I've learned that from that from there. But as a as a as a, a wrapping up story, we were. Was there a certain helmet you picked up from a friend of ours at the Cotswolds who had a fascinating story with it and the importance of research behind it? That's a great segue. Of course, we belong to the Orders and Medals Research Society. I was asked by them nine, ten months ago to give a lecture on Napoleon's retreat from Moscow. And it's a fascinating subject. And I just happened to have three Legion d'honneurs worn by Frenchmen who were on that retreat. So absolutely fantastic. And to my great surprise, one of the 30 members of the audience afterwards came up with a cardboard box, opened it, and there was a dragoon's helmet. Now, this guy collects nothing but helmets. All of his helmets, about 100 of them, are all British. This one he didn't purchase. He was given it some 40 years ago, 50 years ago, when he was a 10-year-old lad 
because his father was friends with a Belgium lady. And that Belgium lady heard that the son liked militaria and sent him this helmet with a note apologizing for its condition. But there we are. Turns out this helmet, my friend had done no research whatsoever. He knew it was Napoleonic and it came with another certificate that said that the owner, a Captain Marnef in the Dragoons, was aide de comp to Marshal Grouchy, one of the most famous marshals in French history. My friend had done no research whatsoever because he didn't know how to. Now, me being a medal person, I just did the same thing I do with a medal, researched this guy, found out he won the Legion d'honneur at the Battle of Borodino wearing this helmet. He went to Moscow where Napoleon presented him with the Legion d'honneur. Presumably he was wearing this helmet and the infamous retreat from Moscow. He made it all the way back to the border where he started and was captured and spent over a year in Russian captivity wearing this helmet. So I now, well, I said to this guy, I just had to have that helmet because he only collects British helmets. He was quite happy with my quite generous offer. And I now own a helmet that went all the way through the Russian campaign and beyond. And because he was Belgium, when he finally got back home, the Belgians had switched side and they were now on the Anglo-British side. So the Anglo uh, Wellington side at the Battle of Waterloo. This Captain Marnef was now a colonel in the Belgian forces and fought against Napoleon's troops, obviously not wearing the helmet that I purchased. So there we are, one <laughs> helmet, no history until I bought it. And within the space of six months, I picked up all that history by going onto the internet. Fantastic, Mick. Thank you so much for that. And it just goes to show any of our new collectors out there or somebody who wants to change into this area, make friends, talk to people, learn your subjects. It's amazing what come along in a tatty old cardboard box that can actually start steamrolling your collection and uh, getting you into a new area of interest. Thank you so much, Mick, for coming on today. And thank you from not just myself, but the whole of the Living History UK team. I do recommend any of our listeners try and get on to listen to one of Mick's talks. They're always fantastic, not just in content, but in presentation skills as well. They are always, always a treat to watch. But firstly, thank you for myself and the rest of the team. And just remember for everyone out there on the 22nd and 23rd of April, 2023, we have the Living History UK Festival. That's over at Moira Furnace in Leicestershire. So get on the podcast links, but also on the website, TikTok, YouTube. It's all on there. You can find the links to our fantastic event where you'll witness over 400 years of British military, military history. So all I've got to say to wrap that up is, remember, keep history alive. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to support it, then why not send us a PayPal donation? All donations help us pay to host the podcast and for us to create new content for your enjoyment. Furthermore, if you would like to submit a question or even a subject matter for the podcast, join Patreon and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The links are in our bio. Until next time, keep history alive.